everybody, welcome once again to this episode of the Heart Podcast. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Vishal Luther, who is an electrophysiology and devices trainee from the Hammersmith Hospital in London. He's going to tell us all about uh, an innovative set of cardiology webinars that he's devised, uh, which is doing really well during this COVID pandemic at giving people online uh, lectures and education. And in the second part of the podcast, we discuss in detail the subspecialty of electrophysiology and why Vishal chose that, the exciting things that you can do as an EP trainee, an EP consultant, and why and how you could get involved yourself if you are so inclined. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast and please feel free to give us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help improve the visibility of the podcast and reach new audience. Thanks very much indeed. Can you introduce yourself for the heart audience? Tell people who you are and what you do. Uh, thanks, James. Um, so I'm a, a final year cardiology registrar um, working at the Hammersmith Hospital, uh, which is part of the London Northwest Thames Deanery. And I'm a subspecialty trainee in cardiac electrophysiology and devices. And Vishal, I first came across you on Twitter and then more recently by watching some of the amazing cardio webinars that you've been putting together uh, during the COVID pandemic. Can you tell us a little bit about how that educational resource came into life, came into being? Yeah, sure. So um, uh, training as a within cardiology is completely on pause as we speak um, as a consequence of COVID-19. Um, many of us are undertaking duties uh, on general medical wards or intensive care and the uh, key works within cardiology have certainly reduced as a consequence of the reduction of elective work and reduction in the acute hospital admissions. Um, and as a consequence of that, myself and many of my trainees, we were, to be honest with you, just missing a lot of cardiology. And um, to that end, uh, I decided to do a, a, a local trainee teaching initiative uh, just within my deanery where um, I was going to talk on SVTs uh, and we'd had a few other registrars volunteer to do uh, some talks covering things like TAVI, advanced heart failure. And um, my partner in crime for what has quite rapidly developed is uh, Dr. Balric Cayley. He's also another cardiology trainee with me. He put out a tweet about this uh, and he um, uh, CC'd in Daryl Francis. Now, um, for those of you who don't know, Daryl Francis is uh, someone who's a uh, very high profile on Twitter, but he's also our training program director. And um, uh, a little bit of tweet magic at the very, very early stage of this uh, allowed this program, this initiative to be seen by a lot of other uh, people within the cardiology community and actually a few senior consultants. So we had um, uh, Professor Nick Curzon, who's the president of the British Cardiovascular Intervention Society, and uh, Professor Andrew Clark, the past chair of the British, Heart Failure, British Society for Heart Failure. Um, they seem to respond to uh, the, this very first tweet and volunteer to take part. And uh, to be honest, that, that was what, just over three weeks ago. And as a consequence of that, the interest in this program has really just rapidly developed. So we now have a schedule of about three webinars per week till the early June. And we're really blessed to have so many great speakers who've volunteered their time. And we're really very thankful to them. 
And the, I think the key thing that happened is we developed our own identity. We've called it at Cardio Webinar on Twitter. Twitter's uh, been absolutely uh, crucial for the, the development of this program. Um, and just in the space of, I think it's under two weeks now, we've got 350 followers. And uh, we're now having interest from consultant speakers from around the world. Um, and I've got to plug it if, if you'd like to volunteer to speak. And that's whoever you are. You can contact us at cardiowebinar at gmail.com or you can tweet us at cardiowebinar. Um, we, we, we've been really lucky because of the fantastic support of the British Junior Cardiac Association. Um, there's Abhishek Joshi, their president, Chris Allen and Nikhil Aluwalia. And then um, quite recently, we've had the support of the British Cardiovascular Society itself, their education and marketing teams. They've also helped to spread the word. Um, and so I think quite quickly from something really small, it's become something that we feel is really worthwhile and we're quite proud of. And how can people access the webinars? It's not only for, for trainees in the London area, is it? It's open to anybody now. Uh, yeah, I mean, so these webinars are accessible to all. Um, for the live events, if you're a trainee, uh, you'll each receive weekly updates from the uh, BJCA, their weekly email. Mm -hmm. uh, and then consultants and, to be honest, anyone else interested can request access by direct messaging us uh, on Twitter at Cardio Webinar. And if you're uh, less enthused about Twitter, you can always email us um, on cardiowebinar at gmail.com. And there we'll send you the, it's basically a one-off Zoom ID and password, which you can use for all the webinars moving forward. The full program can be accessed online. It's it's called, we just made that site now. It's webinar.cardiologist.london. And if you've missed if you miss, if you don't want to see the live ones or your, your work schedule doesn't allow for it, all the webinars are recorded on the BJCA TV gallery. Uh, they've got a fantastic editing and hosting uh, team there who are really putting up all the webinars really quickly and doing a great job. Yeah, that's where I first came across you uh, on the <laughs> BJCA uh, website and really enjoyed three or four of them that I that I watched uh, in quick succession. I was binging on them. They're fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's talk a little bit about electrophysiology, Vishal, because you said you're a final year electrophysiology trainee. Yeah. And traditionally, I would say electrophysiology, people are a bit scared of it, uh, trainees yeah. going into electrophysiology. So can we do a little bit of demystification uh, on this yeah. podcast? Maybe we can start off by you talking about what actually happens in an EP lab for those people who don't know. Sure. Um so you're absolutely right. Um, uh, the EP lab is uh, has a certain mystique about it, shall we say, and I think the EP community um, uh, sort of continue that. But I think we're starting to break down barriers there. So the the EP lab, uh, you can first think about it as the procedures in the team. So the procedures, there's what we call standard EP and what we call complex EP. Um, and so standard EP involves the procedures which are generally of shorter duration, of lower risk, usually don't require general anesthesia. And they typically work on the right side of the heart where critically we don't have to undertake a transeptal puncture. Um, and the examples of this are things like atrial flutter ablation, AV nodal reentrant tachycardia ablation and accessory pathway ablations. And then you've got what we call complex EP, uh, where it's essentially the opposite. So um, general anesthesia may be required. These can be longer procedures. We have more uh, 
tech kit, shall we say. We've got industry support for these uh, and uh, the procedural risk may be conceived as slightly higher. So, for example, this would be atrial fibrillation ablation or atrial tachycardia ablation and VT ablation. The problem with this this kind of distinction is it's um, it's somewhat incorrect because if I'm honest with you, what is now defined as complex um, is actually relatively automated. So, for example, an AF ablation is quite an automated procedure for us um, and doesn't usually involve so much thought. Uh, and so technically, it's actually more simple, shall we say, uh, whereas what's far more complex and certainly uh, much more dreaded as you become a junior consultant, which um, for me, um, uh, I'm hoping is not too far away, is things like taking on your first accessory pathway ablation or your slow pathway ablation. Uh, so the distinction slightly grey in that, that way. Is that just because uh, each of them is very, very different, whereas with AF, there's a kind of formula you apply or can you talk a bit exactly. more about that? Yes, exactly that. I mean, so the the thing about EP, what's what makes it so satisfying is uh, is especially with these SVT procedures, is that they're all so can be so different. Each case is almost like a puzzle. Um, you don't know what you're going to experience, uh, what the pa what the patient will uh, manifest on the table, and um, you unravel the journey each step by doing various different maneuvers and that can be you know intellectually really quite stimulating so it tests your understanding of anatomy of cardiac electrophysiology and um, what I call, what I like to call visuospatial temporal awareness um, but then when it comes to AF ablation it's quite different there is a, a learning curve that one has to go through, but ultimately it then becomes a much more automated procedure. We're now doing AF ablations in about, you know, just over an hour. They, they are day case procedures. They don't require general anesthesia. Um, and the process of isolating pulmonary veins um, is now becoming much more routine, um, so to speak. So that, that I think that that kind of differentiates the 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 two. But the other thing I really like about what happens in the EP lab is is the team. You've got um, it's not just the cardiologists or the electrophysiologists, but we work um, really closely with our physiologists. They are just as important to us, the operator, as as they they are. Um, and that really leads to a lot of great teamwork and camaraderie and a and quite a feel good environment in EP labs. Um, if you get the opportunity to come along and there's a lot of toys um, there's a lot of industry input for these label complex procedures and so if you're that way inclined it is uh, good fun to see some of these uh, um, toys and kit develop and let's uh, let me ask you a personal question how did you first get interested in doing EP as a, as a trainee what made you choose it and was there somebody that you admired when you were when you were coming through SHO and early registrar years or how did it work uh, so for me, my pathway was um, uh, not so smooth. This was I've, I've noted two people. I've noted people who've chosen EP from a very early stage in their training. There are some at medical school, some at junior uh, doctor level when they're foundation doctors, uh, and some who've picked it uh, much with uh, with much less urgency. So. 
for me, I uh, was an ST3 in Northwest and uh, I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, and I, uh, at the end of ST3, we are all encouraged to find a supervisor towards research. And I knew from ST3 I liked uh, interventional procedures, but I didn't really know what type. So I met an interventional consultant to look at research there and I met an EP consultant and it was uh, my EP consultant, Professor Prapa Kanagaratnam who um, I thought found his personality to be something that kind of uh, blended with mine. I thought he was really ambitious and I thought the project he was offering was really great. And then as is with most people, you know, when you start something, you jump in wholeheartedly. And then that gave me the opportunity and the time to learn the language of EP. So that's me, my journey, which I think is quite different to many others. Um, but now I'd say, that was what nearly that was 2014 now in 2020 that what I can say now is if you were to ask me why choose EP I'd say that there's a, a number of reasons so for example I think the, the procedures are really satisfying when it comes to an SVT ablation you, you can offer a patient a 95% cure rate and that's that's really fantastic by just doing sometimes just one ablation lesion. So in someone with an accessory pathway or a slow pathway for AVNRT, you can cure them of their pathology with one ablation lesion. And that's and that really is very worthwhile. And they can stop their drugs moving forward. As I mentioned before, it's intellectually very stimulating. You know, if someone is in VT and there's a, a degree of hemodynamic instability and you have to look at that ECG and you have to work out in your brain where you think that VT is coming from. You then have to have a, a model of the of the heart in your mind uh, uh, where that particular place is. For example, the the basal infralateral part of the left ventricle. You have to know where that is. And uh, then you have to have the ability to move a catheter from the groin to that spot and with a degree of proficiency and swiftness and, you know, keep yourself cool, keep cool under pressure. And so it, it tests all those other behavioral things. And that can be very rewarding. Um, the, and then, as I was saying, the people. So I've talked about the staff. You've got the patients they're, they're a, a, a younger patient population and they've got less comorbidity, certainly compared to the um, uh, interventional, the coronary patients, shall we say. Uh, and the, the doctors, um, the, uh, the I, I personally find the EP docs generally very friendly. Uh, they're, you know, we're a, a less, we're not particularly intimidating type. And uh, I think uh, usually you can get on with your, your EP doctor. Um, no comment, um, but no. <laughs> in in the main, I, I I see what you're getting at. Yeah, there is there is a, a slightly different personality type if we want to really generalise. But I know yeah. what you mean for sure. Yeah. Um, and people talk about um the the lifestyle. So you know, uh, there's very little overnight on call demand, um, and there's a decent work life balance, and uh, there's lots of research opportunity. I certainly found that during my PhD, and and it's going to sound a bit cheesy, but. I have to say, when, when you're looking at maps of arrhythmias, it, it, it can be quite beautiful. Um, there's lots of groups on Twitter who post up uh, 3D maps of arrhythmias. And even to the non-specialist, uh, with all the, the pathways and the colours, it can be really quite attractive. Absolutely, no. Some of those are wonderful. But some of the things that in little video clips you see as well of uh, a successful procedure when people <laughs> are high-fiving all around the, uh, the EP lab. Um, <laughs> If somebody wanted, uh, I mean, I guess we'll have to base this primarily on your experience in the UK, but 
yeah. what is the pathway to train in EP in the UK? And I think it's fairly similar elsewhere. Yeah. So the the general pathway is once you've started off cardiology training as a first year, that's normally labeled as ST3, um, there are typically three years of you have of core cardiology training where you have time to invest and develop your uh, core competencies in angiography, in pacing, in echo. Uh, and at that point, you then have the opportunity to subspecialize in an advanced uh, training module. And EP uh, is one of those. Uh, usually, uh, this would be interrupted by a period of research, uh, whether it be an MD or a PhD. And that time actually is really helpful. Um, for me personally, because I, I did a clinical based project, I use that time also to learn the language of EP, which, you know, it can be hard to do. And one does need a dedicated period of time to do that. Um, but once you then get into that pathway, it's then uh, two years before you then CCT in general cardiology with EP. And of course, quite a few of the trainees, certainly in the UK, will go abroad, won't they, for a sort yeah. of post-training fellowship. That's quite common. Absolutely. Um, so there are uh, fellowships that people can undertake both in the UK and abroad, um, which uh, can prove very popular. And you can either use that to increase your procedural numbers or to develop a, a super specialist niche, so to speak. And why do you think EP uptake Vishal amongst trainees might be relatively low, let's say comparing to imaging or interventional cardiology. What do you think the reason might be or reasons? Yeah, I mean, I think the main thing is, is it's a new language. Um, and with any new language, it does take time to learn. And you then have to ask the question, well, when are you going to get that chance to learn? Um, and, uh, and if you have most EP now is delivered within tertiary centres. So if you're based in district general hospitals, the exposure can be quite challenging. Um, now, EP is starting to move into the district general hospital. And um, we're talking about things like uh, SVTs within district generals. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me within a few years time, we're already seeing some centres demonstrate this where AF ablation moves into the district general. Am I I think electrophysiologists have a tendency to quickly slip into the use of jargon. And um, I, I noted this a lot. And as did a colleague of mine, um, I, I would like to talk about this because he was a colleague of mine, Dr. Afsal Sohaib. He was a registrar working with me. who's now become a consultant in Barnes. And uh, we both felt that uh, there was a lot of jargon within the EP within EP, which made it harder for trainees to engage within it. Um, so he um, edited a book of which I was a, a, a co-author on called Decoding Cardiac Electrophysiology, uh, understanding the techniques and defining the jargon. I mean, in essence, it was there simply to just explain the jargon and decode it into terms to allow newcomers to the field sort of to find their way amongst the world of EP. Uh, and um, it's got a series of chapters which uh, try to really explain the bread and butter of VP to those who are looking to embark on or even starting to consider the idea. And whether you eventually choose to do EP or not, it really goes through the, the basics of what happens in an EP lab and the principles of electrophysiology, which can even help with just your general cardiology training. Um, and then the uh, so, so I think that's that they're the, the immediate barriers. And then I think there people think you need to be like super clever or you need a physics degree for EP. And I have to say, um, personally speaking, you really don't. Um, 
you, it's something which just needs a little bit of time at the beginning. And like everything, um, after a bit of time invested, um, it's a language learned but can be really enjoyed. I think there's, there is a, a bit of bad press about EP. Um, people label the whole of EP, certainly uh, a lot of people I know, they label the whole of EP as AF ablation. Now, there's no doubt AF ablation really is a, uh, is, is a large part of electrophysiology. Um, but to be honest, it's not the reason we chose to go into EP. We chose to go into EP for those puzzles that are SVT ablation. Um, and um, I think the bad press from AF ablation comes from the fact that people think they take about four or five hours to do. They don't. They, they can now be done in about an hour. And people think that uh, there's lots and lots of redos. So what are, the, what are they doing in the EP lab? Well, one has to remember with AF that uh, we never go about trying to cure atrial fibrillation. It's a chaos within the atria. To, to try and cure that with a series of ablation lesions is, is challenging. Our objective in catheter ablation for atrial fibrillation is to reduce the burden of symptoms that patients may experience. And there's a lot of strong data to support that. And what about job prospects, uh, Vishal? Yeah. Something you'll obviously be looking into in the near future. I mean, in certainly in our region, there's been a boom in a recruitment of EP specialists because of I, I suspect a lot of atrial fibrillation increase in the in the workload. But do you think that's true everywhere? Um, I personally, I, I I have yet to see that boom, so to speak. There was a boom a few years ago, um, and I think there are now uh, a lot of junior EP consultants. Um, Having said that, it's a very niche uh, subspecialty, and I'd say everybody sort of knows each other. Uh, and so word of mouth does spread when one is about to finish their training. Uh, and um, uh, whilst it might be very niche and the, there might be limited jobs, so too there are relatively few trainees who are moving towards CCT and EP. Uh, and so uh, whilst one might be a little bit uh, anxious as am I about moving on to the next stage um, I still remain optimistic that uh, the right job will be there at the right time for me and my family. Do people tend to subspecialize even within EP? Do you get VT people who spend their whole lives ablating VT, AF people? Or is it Does it get that niche? I know there are congenital EP doctors aren't there now? They're, you're absolutely right and it does so I mean for me um, I my and the the, your niche is, especially as at this particular level, is uh, results from what you did your research training in. So for me, I did mine in the complex mapping and ablation of uh, of uh, complex arrhythmias. So these are things like atrial tachycardias and ventricular tachycardias. So having had that additional three years um, exposure to these particular procedures and then obviously wanting to seek out those in my uh, clinical training, uh, then uh, uh, I would like to say that uh, VT ablation in particular is something that I would like to uh, keep hold of uh, in my training moving forward. Now that's the same when it comes to uh, a congenital EP. It's the same when it comes to devices. So um, there are people who have become, who've got niches in extraction or who've developed niches in in uh, complex cardiac resynchronization, whether it be his bundle pacing or left bundle branch block pacing. There are no doubt about it. There are various different niches that that have evolved within the branch of EP, uh, uh, which people then become, shall we call the super specialist at, uh, and become somewhat uh, leading the field in that particular domain. It's fascinating, Vishal, and we could talk about it some more, but um, should we just finish off by maybe 
you outlining or signposting people towards some resources that you think might help their knowledge of EP, but also places to look if you're thinking about entering it as a trainee? Yeah. Um, so I think I've already mentioned the book, uh, Decoding Cardiac Glitch Physiology. Um, for, there are societies, the British um, Heart Rhythm Society, and their website has lots of useful material and useful links. The European Heart Rhythm Association, there are a series of uh, uh, online webinars available there, and there are some really helpful books that I used uh, for certification for EP. Uh, and then the Heart Rhythm Society, uh, they offer a, also a series of very helpful books for uh, trainees with practice answer questions um, to help the trainee um, moving forward to get certification and to continue professional development uh, in the long term. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much indeed, uh, Dr. Vishal Luther, for all of your time. Uh, thank you very much, uh, James, and thank you so much for inviting me to talk on this podcast. Thank you.